0: I'm Dr. Len Baer, your Sunday companion to help you navigate legal, technological, and human aspects of targeting. But more specifically, Targeted Justice v. Garland, a lawsuit remarkable in so many ways. Never before, the targeting program has been challenged from the angle of the terrorist screening database. This brilliant strategy was born by the mind of Anna Toledo, of the targeted justice, an attorney who is most feared by the agencies implicated in perverting the way this database was intended to be used, which is to protect us from the acts of terrorism, not to ruin lives of at least 300,000 Americans by illegally placing them onto the terrorist screen database database. You must realize that Anna is just warming up. She's in the process of composing a killer brief that, without a doubt, won't go unnoticed by the judges of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. Never before, the constitutional rights of American citizens have been so brazenly stepped on, without the FBI even trying to hide it, almost bragging about it in their declarations and statements. I learned that Anna will use something called en banc. It's a legal term meaning in bench, in French. It means that she's asking all judges who are active in the Fifth Court of Appeals to be a part of correcting the record and shredding away the dismissal with been unjustly served by the judge in Houston, who was fed lies and misinformation by the attorneys for the defendants, DOJ, FBI, DHS, without giving proper attention to the uncircumventable facts presented by the plaintiffs. If there was ever a time to metaphorically throw a shoe at the judge. This is it. I almost feel guilty that I'm taking away precious time from Anna's super busy schedule, but I know that she gets recharged by our weekly conversations, and that makes me feel a little better. So Anna, please say hi to our viewers.
1: Good morning. Hi, everyone. And thank you. Thank you, Len, again, for you you uh, honor me with your words that I don't find deserving. But um, thank you. I'm so happy to be here again.
0: Of course, Anna. I mean, every single word of it, you really, truly my hero. Today, uh, we were supposed to have a very special guest. Her name is Kathy Meadows. She has a master's degree in clinical psychology. She's trained in research, she's a consultant, advocate, and expert witness for targeted individuals, and she's an author of two books on the subject. Unfortunately, Kathy had to cancel her appearance at the last minute, but that won't stop us from discussing targeting from a psychological perspective. But that later in the show. Before we go in the first, uh, um, to, uh, before we go to the first part of the show, I want to remind everybody that there are currently two ways you can support legal efforts of Targeted Justice: Patreon and Cornerstone. Links to both you will find in the description of the show. We are working on adding more ways of how you can contribute, but for today, the message I want you to hear is that. Your efforts to support us are being intentionally suppressed. Electronic interference, but the almighty government agencies is running on all cylinders. The campaign to exhaust our resources is very real and highly sophisticated. I will give you my own example. I wasn't able to donate money using the cornerstone service when I tried to make a transaction. Only after calling customer service for two days in a row and asking their IT department to unblock my specific IP address, I was able to make a donation. You might ask why it was blocked in the first place. Good question. This is what we are against, a systematic campaign to dry up our resources. So when making contributions, If you realize that your payment is not going through, please don't give up, call customer service, request your donation to be accepted. It takes an extra effort and extra resolve to fight this Hydra, but there's no other way. So keep the pressure up and thank you in advance for your patience and perseverance. And now let's start with our legal update. Legal briefs from both parties are due on September fifth. So Anna, please tell us what what are the issues you're working through, Anna
1: um yes, well, i I don't know if I've ever told you the story. One of the things I love about my profession is that I'm always learning and learning, and it's about reading. A, I, I once went to a keynote a speech by uh, Captain Sully, the, the man that saved all those people in the Hudson river. And they made a movie of him afterwards. So I was in a speech with him and somebody asked him, what, what do you think is your most important trait that made you be able to save those people that day? And he said, my mom was the first grade teacher and she taught me to never stop learning. And, Every day, I, uh, I would get manuals from planes or whatever, and and uh, I would read them even though I knew I wasn't going to fly that plane probably, but it was at that very moment that I had only like 200 and something seconds to save the lives of all those people that all the knowledge that I had put in there into my brain just told me exactly the minimum, let's say, 10 things I had to do for saving these people's lives. There was. There was absolute like mandatory things and then there was like wish list, but you know, those mandatory things, he says, a reason I knew what those mandatory things were is not just my experience, but because I never stopped learning. And so the same is with this. I, I what I do is I just read and I'm 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 in the process. I already did, you know, started writing my 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 brief, but I'm just reading and reading and reading and and like everything around the nation. And that's how I came up with. Uh, the two quotes I sent you, uh, because it's 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 very revealing how the courts um, are very short from saying the Department of Justice is doing illegal things here because they they even tried to seal a case and 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 we'll talk about that later. But um, so all I do is read and read and and one of the pearls I found this. Um, this week, which I want to share with you, is that uh, in the Fifth Circuit, uh, you know, we have 18 plaintiffs. So in the Fifth Circuit, uh, it only takes one of the plaintiffs. In in our case, we have two that corroborated that were on the TSEB, um, uh, Richard Lighthouse and Karen Stewart. So in, in different situations, right? So it says it just takes one plaintiff to establish the standing for the rest in terms of that they are illegally placed on the TSCB, and that to me is huge because I was thinking, oh my God, you know, I I don't have that corroboration for the rest of them, but ne- but with those cases that are solid, uh, you know, precedent, uh, irrefutable precedent, well, that's really that's just another pearl, and it just um, so nothing nothing has really happened. I'm just working on it, and I, and I just have to say that um, what what really regarding what you said. Um, you know, I, I know we have talked about this before. As as an attorney, when a client of mine was doing something wrong, I would tell you have to stop that immediately because uh, because you just have to stop that, you know. And if not, I would withdraw from the representation. And here what, what we have to ask ourselves is who would benefit from curtailing, from obstructing the donations to targeted justice that it's a tiny 501c3 that you know it's we're fighting for human rights you have to ask yourself who would put the effort 24 7 to be not only curtailing the donations to targeted justice but also infiltrating our calls our emails interfering with every single uh, activity we try to carry on online. Who who would benefit from that? I'm I'm wondering who, uh, perhaps, um, I don't know. And then the second question you have to ask yourself is who has the unlimited technology access and funds to carry out this kind of hacking in institutions such as Patreon and Cornerstone that must have huge firewalls just because of their nature of their financial business so this is not just your plain hacker or your sophisticated hacker these are people that have access to portals that other people don't have and i'm just going to leave it at that but i'm just saying it's highly illegal it's a federal crime and it's got to stop
0: len wonderful anna thank you for that inspiring message and thank you for this uh uh analysis of this 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 highly suggestible message i mean let people think for themselves who who has access to to this kind of technology on the last podcast uh you and i went through Uh, one of your tweets and talked about what specific constitutional rights of targeted individuals are being violated. And we call that podcast Second Class Citizens. This week, you also tweeted out something else that was really interesting. And I want to put your tweet up and please, Anna, take us through what's going on here. So every time we go through different aspects of uh, TSDB, so I called it TSDB Chronicles. We really, this is a really a subject on everybody's mind, especially on everybody's uh, mind who is following uh, this lawsuit. Your tweet was about this case, Ibrahim uh, VD uh, uh, versus Department of Homeland Security and I I just had to look up look up the case and give you some background so a female non-immigrant alien from Malaysia was admitted to study at Center at Stanford University on a student visa in, 2000, in 2005 she attempted to fly from San Francisco Airport to Hawaii but was handicapped and led away because she was on the federal no-fly list. Next day, she was allowed to fly to Hawaii and then to LA and then to Malaysia. While in Malaysia, her student visa was revoked and she could never get back to the United States. So this is the background of the case. And then let's see what you tweeted about this case. And I want you to explain the... Um, significance of it. Anna, please, please go.
1: Okay. Um, So I I had to add to that, that while she was in Stanford, she had a daughter, she got married, she had a daughter. And um, the daughter is an American citizen. So she wasn't allowed to go back to the United States, not even for her trial. And when her daughter tried to, her daughter, American citizen, tried to get on a plane to testify, she wasn't allowed either. So um, eh, the paragraph, this conclusion of fact, this was after a five-day trial, okay? And and this, this, this court was very methodical. And this paragraph contains exactly what our main allegation is. But it was proven, uh, you know, it was a proven fact. They they uh, uh, showed the evidence to the court, and it was a proven fact that Abraham, the plaintiff, uh, is does not meet any suspicion grounds for terrorism, yet remains in the terrorist screening database for secret, as a secret exception. Now. Here's what's interesting. On many statements under penalty of perjury by the FBI people, they have stated that the TSDB is not a classified document. So you have to wonder why the court arrived at the, uh, at the um, um, conclusion pursuant to a classified and secret exception for Americans uh, the inclusion in, in the TSDB cannot be a classified and secret uh, criteria because they are, have to be published in the federal register. You have to put the criteria to put a person, uh, you know, wh- what are the categories, number one. And number two, there's also what the document called the watch listing guidance. And they talk about the criteria there. But this thing about a uh, secret and classified, which is, precisely the nefarious targeted individual program. That's that's. I don't know if this judge knew that that was what it was referring to, but the FBI and the DOJ averred, admitted, argued that it was a secret and classified exception that they didn't want to talk about and they didn't have to talk about. The problem with, with that plaintiff was that since she's not an American citizen protected by the American Constitution, She had to just take it. You know, she couldn't challenge the secret and classified uh, exception. But now we know because we have Timothy Gross, um, a Timothy Gross statement under penalty of perjury, the former deputy director of the terrorist screening center, saying that uh, a lot of people don't meet the terrorist criteria and are there for other reasons. Well, the homeland security presidential directive is clear this is only a law enforcement tool for known and suspected terrorists it is not an act of congress the homeland security presidential directive is an executive order not an act of congress and as such has to be interpreted restrictively and does not give space should be putting in other things there in the shopping list that you know that the that the, the FBI and other people want to put in there so um i think this um, is pretty much a uh, an uncontroverted admission by by the fbi uh and the doj that uh there are people on the list especially in the united states that shouldn't be there
0: that's a great explanation I, I i struggled with even understanding the whole structure so i i made this little um helpful sort of mind map for myself and i put reasonable suspicion standard on one side of the uh, slide and then classified and secret exceptions to the same reasonable suspicion standard, and that that both of them are self-imposed processes within the executive branch. And and what it means to me is that both the suspicion standards and the exceptions are made by the FBI themselves. They made their own rules. And they're never been enshrined by, by the judge or by the Congress into law, um that, that basically the FBI is just doing it on their own. Is that a reasonable conclusion that I make?
1: Let me let me um add in here that there is an executive order 13526, people can look it up that says that no agency can put the label classified on any information to cover up illegality, criminality, negligence, abuse of discretion. And that executive order, we alleged it in the complaint. You cannot put the classified label on the TSDB that FBI and and Timothy Groh and a lot of of its officials have previously asserted and have publicly asserted that it's a non-classified document. And you cannot uh, just put the classified label on something just to cover up an nefarious purpose or activity by uh, people within the agency, any agency of the United States government. I want to also add one thing. The reasonable suspicion standard is very low. It's less than probable cause. Probable cause is what you, you know, when you when you somebody is accused of a crime, probable cause is a threshold, a uh, for uh, submitting that person to a criminal procedure, right? But the reasonable suspicion is a lower, like level, lower than that, and that woman Ibrahim, and targeted individuals don't meet the reasonable suspicion um, threshold. They could have had or committed or been convicted of other crimes, petty crimes, misdemeanors, because as we know, many targeted individuals are entrapped into it. But that doesn't mean that they meet the reasonable suspicion threshold for terrorism, which is what this is for. So um, I just wanted to clarify that that 13 5, people can look it up. Government cannot hide its malfeasance with the with a you know, just saying a cloak of classified, just putting the word of classified in it, into it.
0: Thank you, Anna. Well, I think this is the conclusion that we all can agree on. FBI is completely out of control.
1: Yeah, I wanted to make the clarification that uh, as part of the brief, uh, the the appellants, we asked for a hearing because hearings are not deemed automatic. You have to petition for them and justify them. And of course, I think, you know, we have enough justification, but I'm going to go a little further and I'm going to say I want an en banc hearing and it's seldom granted, but I am still going to petition for it because you cannot get that which you don't ask for Right, so I'm going to ask for it, and what that means is for the full court to uh, listen in and decide because it's, you know, I, I think it this this case is so important that it it warrants that the entire court um, decide upon it, and, and particularly the urgency the urgency of it calls for it. So I just wanted to clarify that that it's not a right to have a hearing it's a discretionary decision by the court of appeals
0: i understand huh? and thank you once again you never fail to amaze me your depth and dedication to the research is like nothing else i've seen before so now let's move on on our last episode Uh, We didn't have a special guest either. Instead, I shared notes about my visit to Dr. Hoffer. And the majority of you commented that you felt validated that there is at least one doctor who doesn't shy away from our issues related to directed energy attacks. I received many comments and questions. So I decided to expand my presentation and record it as a separate podcast. So all your questions will be answered. For example, what about MRI? What about other brain scans? Uh, what additional, what about additional biomarkers that we learned from the declassified AHI report, uh, thanks to the FOIA request by the medicine project. Uh, you want to know more details about the diagnosis received by the military personnel compared to civilians, things like that. So, I will put it in a separate bonus episode. So watch out for that. Subscribe to this channel and follow me on uh, for the announcement on Twitter, where my handle is at PeaceOrganicus. So um, we don't have a special guest. He's through repeating, but... uh, the the topic that we're gonna be discussed is too important to simply skip it. So instead, we will start the conversation about the psychological aspects of targeting. And hopefully, hopefully, one day we will have an expert in the field uh, to discuss targeting from the psychological perspective. Uh, like just like just like the last time, Anna, I wanted to be interactive. Uh, Feel free to interrupt me with any questions at any time. So, targeting from a psychological perspective, since we were talking, since we were supposed to talk about uh, 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 with Kathy Meadows, I uh, prepared slides about two of her books. Uh, One is "Surviving in Target" and "Surviving and Thriving as a Targeted Individual." She published that she published in two thousand seventeen. And the other one is called, Hey, Mom, I'm a Targeted Individual, published in 2018. I also asked uh, our viewers on Twitter um, uh, whether they had success or any help with um, um, Kathy's book. And uh, Leticia Rodriguez on, on, on Twitter responded, this book helped me and my mother to understand highly recommended, very easy, straight to the point. So I'm glad it helped people. I read uh, just one of her book, the the first one, um, and uh, I found that many points of uh, convergence between Kathy's recommendations, uh, her writings, and the ideas I've been expressing. For example, here's a passage from Kathy's book uh, that we both agree agree on your enemies and or their emissaries are using all of their time and energy to bring you down psychologically physically financially and socially they may be laying awake nights uh dreaming of your demise accept that and move on don't get involved in trying to figure out why they're doing what they do it's a waste of time i i I actually agree. Even though even though I suggest a different line of reasoning, it's more of a like legal thinking. I, maybe I'm I've been hanging out with Anna too much because I started thinking in legal terms, but but the gist of it uh is the same. Don't try to figure out why you are targeting. Kathy has a degree in clinical psychology and accepts the reality of targeting based on her firsthand experience and the overwhelming number of similar experience we all encounter. But what about the experts, other experts who don't have the luxury to experience targeting firsthand? For that, I turn to Psychology Today, uh, where I found a three-part essay on stalking by Dr. Joe Pier MD, uh, who echoes my sentiment. If you aren't personally experienced gang stalking, it's hard for an outsider, much less, much less a psychiatrist, to accept it as anything other than a textbook example of paranoia of paranoia. So this is a reasonable statement. You really don't know how it feels to be gang stalked. Uh, to be uh, uh, exposed to V2K, street theater, etc., etc., etc. However, he presents he presents two studies on gang stalking, and he says that both studies had the same conclusion. He sa- he he writes in both of these studies, gang stalking claims were attributed to p- paranoia because they defied credulity, often due to sheer amount of resources or level of coordinated organization that would be necessary to carry out what was claimed. This is an incredibly amateur statement from both a technological and a reasoning perspective. What's wrong with this line of thinking? Here's what's wrong. They're saying we attributed this to paranoia, not because we diagnosed paranoia, but because of our lazy thinking, lack of imagination, and because we're being fragrantly ignorant about what's technological possible. That's what it really means. And what's technological possible and is being done is the advanced biometrics to track and interfere with target's brains using artificial intelligence, using unlimited resources of the black budget, fusion centers, apps to organize people, advanced newer technology, V2K, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Then another argument that Dr. Pierre makes is that there has to be a motive why would the CIA be devoting considerable resources to keep an average Joe under constant surveillance for years on end? Dr. Pierre, have not you heard of MKUltra, Counter, Cointel Pro? Don't you understand that neuroweapons weapons that the US, United States has, possesses by the admission of experts, such as Dr. Giordano, they have to be tested on the human subject. I mean, that doesn't come into the conversation. He just simply dismisses it. And then Dr. Pierre uh, finishes his writing with an incredibly disrespectful statement. TI sometimes claim that they would prefer to be mentally ill than a victim of real-life gang-stalking. But one wonders to what extent that's really true. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I would not want the services of these doctors because it doesn't pass the test for rationality and empathy. Uh, Also, if you remember when Havana syndrome uh, came onto the scene, in the form of director energy attacks against U.S. government personnel stationed overseas. The targeted individuals community had high hopes uh, that this would become uh, public knowledge. However, there has been just as much resistance for accepting it as a real phenomenon. Uh, for example, Dr. Robert Bartholomew, with whom I had a chance to uh, have a lengthy conversation at the interviews on YouTube, he wrote the book, Havana Syndrome, Mass Psychogenic Illness, and the real story behind the embassy um, embassy mystery and hysteria. However, uh, even after the revelation found in the previously classified AHI report, you can see that on the, on the bottom of the screen, uh, dated September 2020, obtained through FOIA request by the Medicine Project, Dr. Bartholomew remains stuck on on his already falsified mass psychogenic hypothesis uh, by both. It's been falsified, It's been rejected by both the um, 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 National Academy of Sciences and this report, this this unclassified report, because it contains undisputable proof that there's there's a a physical damage to the brain. Uh, 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 during this uh, directed energy attack. But Dr. Bartholomew remains uninterested in this new information that refutes his hypothesis. So what I, instead of making statements, recommendations, I would like to ask some questions If the targeting is real, as we know it, what is the psychological theory of uh, the phenomenon of targeted individuals should be? That is a question for the budding, for the new psychologists, psychiatrists, neurologists coming onto the scene. That's the question that we should be asking as a targeted community. Uh, Another question, let's say there is a therapist or psychiatrist who accepts the reality of targeting. What kind of diagnosis he or she might entertain? What kind of help or professional therapy uh, he might offer? And finally, my most interesting unorthodox question. A person goes to a psychologist or psychiatrist and presents complaint consistent with being targeted. A doctor offers a diagnosis of paranoid delusional disorder. How can a psychiatrist discern between people having things of endogenous psychological nature and those who have been exposed to neurological influences from an external origin? This is a reasonable question to ask. Anna, you have a question.
1: Yes. um, Many targeted individuals have taken to taking pictures, taking videos, having physical evidence of their gangs talking, you know, just to a corroboration. It has been my personal experience that I believe psychiatrists and psychologists believe many of these targeted individuals. But until this program, until we shut down this program, they will not have the courage to come out and say, I believe you. And the reason is because they will receive a visit from the commission, the licensing commission to examine their files. They will receive the IRS knocking on their door this this program is so criminal and involves all of the agencies, regulatory agencies, that the EA might revoke their license. And so then how are they going to put food in their table for their family? That is what's happening here. These criminals, these government criminals, are so almighty and powerful that running this show that they don't even, it is my perception that they don't allow honest Psychologists and psychiatrists to tell to their patient, "I believe you." And until we shut down this program, it's not going to happen. I, you know, except people, you know, like Kathy Meadows, just because you know she's been doing it in, in her particular situation. But you see, she 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 didn't. Um, she she had to cancel. Uh, I'm just going to leave it at that. You know, I uh, uh, not everybody has a. Has not not all the people out there practicing medicine have the independent wealth or or courage to say, oh it's okay. I, I can you know I, I can tell you from my own personal experience, okay? Um I, I I think that these doctors are threatened and uh and they cannot tell the truth even if they believe you. Uh so that's one thing that um if, we need, we need to fight this monster, bring it down. And then people will have to go in hordes to these professionals, the ones that haven't been dishonest, saying that TTIs are delusional because there's there's that dishonest uh, a, a group, right? Because there's going to be a lot of uh, post-traumatic stress disorder that that targeted individuals will have to deal with because it's, it's very real, you know, the, the, the mental and emotional and spiritual scar is huge. Uh, It's huge for all, for all of us. So that's, that's just, but we do have to maintain a little dossier on those, like, uh, like that's a psychiatrist or psychologist. I don't know what, which one he is that, uh, that label targeted individuals as delusionals crazy, you know whatever those, those we have to keep in a special place because we have to come back to them down the line.
0: Okay. I, I I understand your sentiment, Anna. Um, so this is this is the end of the segment uh, targeting of psychological perspective. we asked more questions that we had answers for and I want to emphasize that this is not a medical advice. This is just our conversation. We are coming up to the end of the show. And as usual, uh, final thoughts from our guest today, it's just Anna, please uh, give us your final thoughts.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Lynn, for being so, so awesome. Uh, I just want to remind people that we, when, if and when we get uh, a date for a hearing, which I am thinking it's gonna be somewhere around, maybe late October, a, we are asking targeted individuals from the four corners of the nation uh, and even from outside if they want to come and uh, we're going to do a rally outside the court because obviously they can't come in it's it's not going to fit everybody but we just need a presence because we need to counteract a uh, the shadow banning so it's important a uh, it, it, to To have a lot of people there we're organizing it through ti please sign up and we will let you know as soon as we know of a hearing date so that you can uh make the arrangements and the the in ti events there's like information about you know we're probably going to find hotels and and travel um you know pool traveling so uh just just look out for ti events and for the targeted justice newsletter
0: of course Anna, you made my day you called me awesome so (laughs) i'm i'm a happy camper today as for me i'm calling today's show targeting a psychological perspective if you've been watching the show regularly you probably notice that every podcast I'm trying to give you new tools and new ways of thinking and how you can reframe the conversation so you can take control of the narrative while speaking on the subject of your targeting. I also noticed that in the targeting community, uh, we have these unwritten uh, rules that most accept as a gospel. Don't go to the doctor. Don't go to the police and absolutely under no circumstances go to a psychiatrist. I'll be honest with you. I broke every single one of these rules. Maybe it's because I've been trained to follow the scientific method that requires me to question everything. I broke rule number one. Don't go to the doctor. I went to seek medical help and have been diagnosed with Havana syndrome. I've broken the rule number two. Don't go to the police. I did. I ended up receiving substantive and clearly incriminating correspondence between the FBI and my elected official. I broke rule number three. Don't talk to Dr. Giordano because he is the bad guy. Instead, he validated my diagnosis of Havana syndrome and sent my case for further investigation to the DOD. I even broke rule number one. I went to a psychiatrist. In fact, that was one of the first things I did, who decidedly excluded the diagnosis of paranoid schizophrenia and diagnosed me with something called adjustment disorder, also known as stress-related disorder. So maybe doing things the same way and expecting different results is no longer the way to go. I understand this is a deeply personal decision, and I'm simply sharing my thoughts and experience with you. On today's show, I advocated for something that perhaps sounds unconventional, but we need unconventional tools in our arsenals because there is nothing conventional about our targeting. So if a psychologist or psychiatrist is diagnosing you with a delusional disorder. Challenge him and ask how can how can he discern between innate psychological issues and something imposed onto you from an external source source using sophisticated microwave technology? This technology is no longer a secret, it exists, and thus this is a reasonable. Question to ask. And if your expert dismisses your question, you perhaps can dismiss his conclusion and ask him to put it in the record, in the medical record, specifically that he refused to entertain your very reasonable question, which is in step with current advancement in neurotechnology. Demand an answer to your question. And if your expert doesn't know the answer to this question, ask him. How can he be confident in his diagnosis? Reframe the conversation. We desperately need this fresh approach in order to continue fighting for our liberation. Until that happens, we will be here every Sunday, rain or shine.